stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. How do you like my voice? How do you like me now? It's really early in the morning, Sundance Film Festival. I probably got about six hours, maybe five hours of sleep because I went to a midnight showing. This is Tony Gapastone <laughs> reporting live. Well, I'm reporting live, but you're probably not going to listen to this live. Yeah, you're not because nobody is. I'm by myself in my Airbnb bedroom waiting for the rest of my Sundance Brave Maker team to join. And it's only day two for me, but I got a great interview to share with you today. Really, really cool. Uh, I kind of gave you a little teaser uh, in episode 42, but here's episode 43, and it's with filmmaker Jim Cummings. Now, by the way, I should be doing more of these little warnings. I, I have two podcasts, my other podcast. Anytime someone swears, I always put a little warning because I feel as if <laughs> there are certain people who appreciate that. With Brave Maker, I just let things fly and I figure people are adults, they'll work it out. But there's a lot of uh, adult bombs that are dropped in meaning like F-bombs. So if you have little ears in sight, you might want to cover them. And if you don't like that language, you might want to skip this one. But really, it's so good. Uh, Jim Cummings is a really... I mean, he's a force. He's a creative force. You need to watch Thunder Road. If you have not watched his, at least his short film, it's a short film. It's free. Just Google Jim Cummings short film Thunder Road and you will find it. It's a one take film, which means they turn the camera on and the film, when the film ends, they turn the camera off. One take. Really good. He won Sundance with it. Four years ago, we talked about that. Then he turned that into a feature film. Then he started a production company. And he's what all filmmakers dream about. <laughs> living. He's truly living the filmmaker dream. And he and I actually connected, and we'll talk about that on the podcast so you can hear more about that. Check out all the links in the show notes. Follow him and learn from him. And let's be more like him. We need more filmmakers like him in the world. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm always... Gosh, always sounds so extreme, but it feels like a lot of times I'm fighting the continual rejection. Uh, am I worthwhile? Am I valuable? Do I have anything that's worthwhile to invest in and back, meaning my projects, my company, Brave Maker? It's a hustle at times. It feels really difficult, <laughs> even though I feel in some way there's been a lot of success it's month to month, and we're making it happen, and I haven't made my feature film yet, and I keep going, why? Why haven't people helped me? Um, well, I need to do it. I need to do it. I need to do it. Then I feel like I'm an imposter. If, you, if you've heard of that phrase, imposter syndrome before, it's wacky how it surfaces at a place like this when you're talking with people who are doing it, and some who are way ahead of you, and some who have way more resources than you, and some who seem to have way more success than you. Uh, even I know so many people in the industry, and they're all good people, and I can get into a room and feel as if I'm less than. It's a real thing. But this guy just gives of his self and his resources and his connections. And it's just so refreshing. And so that's why, I mean, that's why Brave Maker exists. I know what it feels like not to have that. So I am putting it out into the world to want to help other people. And I hope you are being helped by this, um, this podcast, these resources we're putting out. I hope you're helped by our film screenings. And if you should so want to partner with us, remember we're a 501c3 nonprofit and your donations make it happen. So thanks and enjoy. Brave stories change the world. You are the story. All right, here we go. We're just going to jump in. Let's do it. Brave Maker Podcast. This is episode 43 and uh, I'm with Jim Cummings. Hi. Jim Cummings is a filmmaker, writer, director, actor, extraordinaire, and I just uh, sw swept into slam dance, not Sundance. He's kind of doing everything right now, but he was doing a panel discussion, and uh, hordes of people are uh, surrounding him at the little red carpet, step and repeat, and what is he doing? Giving his personal phone number and email out. <laughs> Why do you do that? Like a fucking idiot. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like the industry is so segregated and it, it makes you feel like you're outside of the club so yeah, much all the time that's how they have their value still and so like my if you have imdb pro my email address is on there because it's like i have representation and they're wonderful but like i i think 
I don't know. I, I never want to. I was never an artist first. I was always a producer. Yeah. I feel like I'm a I'm a film scientist rather than like the the artist. I don't need to be protected or anything. I don't know. It's a weird thing. It's but but I I like it. I like being able to be in direct contact with people mm -hmm. who are struggling. Like I struggled mm -hmm. for fucking ten years making mm -hmm. movies, and if I can answer one quick question of like, no, that's an insane thing to do for your movie. Don't do that. I tried that twice. They don't actually have any money, or this person's lying to you. It's like, it can be so difficult to get honest answers in the film industry and it's sure. nice to be able to help people you're paving i mean you're paving a new way and it seems to be working for you <laughs> to do this direction and i love that it kind of was birthed because you know what it felt like to be in the trenches and to be waving your hand and no one coming to the rescue and it's been incredibly gratifying to see friends of mine now who like approached me in lobbies and had questions and i feel like a proud parent watching their movies screen on the big screen and like it's it's a wonderful thing to be able to yeah. do you get to like send the ladder back down it's important so for listeners who don't know uh this is what i know i think i know a lot of your history but we'll see <laughs> if i get it right uh, so you did a short film a one-take short film about four years ago? Yeah, four years ago. That won the short film category here at Sundance? Exactly four years ago yesterday. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. yes. Those yeah. feel pretty good. Yeah. And then you took the one-take short film called Thunder Road based on a song about Bruce, by Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. You took that and then made that into a feature film. That's correct. Yes. And then that feature film won South by Southwest. Yes, in 2018. But, but so from what I understand, there were some challenges getting the feature film made that really even birthed even more, I think, about your empire <laughs> you're well, building here. It was it was difficult to get the film financed. Financed, So, okay. like, like, nobody wanted to help us, and because I'm not a big actor, um, we just couldn't get 200 grand to make a movie from anybody. They all wanted to make $6 million movies because then they're pocketing producing fees and packaging and all that bullshit. And so it was very difficult to make a small budget movie, we found out, as short filmmakers. But since we hadn't already done it before, really, it was very difficult. So in the interim between making the short film of Thunder Road, I made nine more single-take short films over a year and a half. I didn't know that. And, wow. then, and then that kind of became the experience of making a feature. And it just got to a point where I was like, I think I'm done with making shorts as a director and writer an actor I'm just gonna I think I'm thinking it's time to make the feature and so I started writing it tried to get financing we knocked on a thousand doors I had 75 general meetings in Hollywood and none of it really led to any money at all so it was nice it was a wonderful compliment it was it was kind of like an in-office field trip for people to come and see the guy who made the short film trying to make a feature and everybody was very nice and I was qualified for three more jobs than most people as a writer <laughs> actor and director I was also mm -hmm. an editor and a composer I didn't know that yet um, <laughs> and then uh, we couldn't get any money and so my buddy Zach Parker uh, who was leaving AMC at the time uh, was like, well, I want to move back to Austin and I want to make five independent films over the next 10 years. And he goes, I want this one to be the first one. And and I, I just loved him. I was like somebody who I'd met a few times, just a, a couple times, but then he came to me with just such earnesty and a contract. He was like, I want it to be kind of a first look deal that we would go out and make this thing. And he was talented and enthusiastic and really meant what he said. And so we ran a Kickstarter campaign, raised 34 grand. He put up 50 grand. I put up 50 grand from shooting commercials. We had 134 grand. And then we had financiers from around the world reach out to just give us 12 grand for one share of the movie. And we gap financed the movie that way from wonderful people from the internet who are now great friends of ours. Mm -hmm. um, so it was possible. It just wasn't possible through Hollywood right. at all. And then that movie was incredibly successful and has screened in every territory and has thea had theatrical deals in, I think it was like 26 different territories around the world, all from us distributing it. Yeah, it was wild. And so what I think is really cool is that, am I right on this? The very first week it screened in France. Yeah, that's Did right. It Make its whole budget back. Is that uh, right? The first two weeks, first two weeks? I, we, we doubled it from ticket sales in France alone. So, like, That's... the movie cost 190 grand, 210, depending on which producer uh -huh. you ask about it. Uh, I like to say 190. Uh -huh. uh, and then I think it, it grossed 370,000 to maybe 410,000, something like that, just from ticket sales mm -hmm. in French theaters. So, like, that's outside of Blu rays, that's outside mm -hmm. of a TV deal, that's outside of any of that stuff in the territory of France. Just France alone made that in two weeks of being a theater. It was madness. And so it's like, to think that the highest offer that we got from a distributor was $125,000 for 10 years for every territory, which is, which is deals that I know other filmmakers yeah. are taking 
this week, yeah. like at this film festival. And it's just insanity to me. It's mm-hmm. an educational issue that I really feel mm-hmm. like once people realize that distributing a film is very much like uploading a movie to YouTube, where you just like select which territories you want it to appear in, it's all going to collapse on itself. Mm. Very luckily, uh, I got. I just love this. For, number one, I got. I didn't tell listeners. We're sitting in some um, really cool, kind of random, <laughs> like, uh, it's a bit like hotel. The Shining. Yeah, the Shining <laughs> hotel that hosts Slam Dance, and we're we just like grabbed a couch in the middle of a hallway where people are staying, like right behind us. But also, we have R.J. Daniel Hanna, uh, director of Miss Virginia, who was on our podcast a few podcasts ago and screened in the Bay Area. And we're just talking independent film. We're talking what it looks like to pave the way. And I, I think this is like perfect a perfect setting to do that so again hey thanks for being here and speaking of you talked about making new friends on the twitterverse we are connected because we, we are both. <laughs> so okay so i've been following jim for a while like super inspired by what you just said the whole story i'm making my films i've done a bunch of short films i got feature films i'm working on right now and jim tweets one day hey this film i'm working on um needs some more funding and he tweets the kickstarter campaign i click on it I look at it. It's called the, I always say it wrong. Surrogate. 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 I always say surrogate. I think that's my Midwestern. My wife's like, it's, you're saying it wrong. Surrogate. (laughs) I click on it and I recognize the guy, uh, the actor, Sullivan Jones. I had the actor Sullivan Jones on my podcast like two weeks before because I saw him in Slave Play. All these little connections. And I click on the director. I watch the thing. I'm like, cool. I reach out to the director, Jeremy Hirsch. Shout out to Jeremy Hirsch because he, Texted us together. That's why we're here. <laughs> so I look up Jeremy Hirsch. We're chatting. All of a sudden, I find out Jeremy Hirsch interned for my friend Christopher Hibb. I mean, the, it just is wild. So I, I put in a little cash, and now my name is by your name. Isn't that so funny? In the credits of this yeah. film, dude. <laughs> what the heck? Uh, well, this- I met Jeremy at South by Southwest 2013 when I was a producer, and he had his short film Natives there. Uh, and and he and I were just kind of lost in a convention center and just kind of like met eyes with each other and then we just became these kind of like summer camp friends and we just became friends through the film festival circuit it. and then he went on to have his own Sundance career with actresses and and then expanded into the feature of the surrogate and it was so funny like we were doing work together and he was always calling like, how do I fix this thing how do I do this stuff and I had his questions for him about how do I do, do this stuff and it was just so funny that we kind of mm. became this community in a real way that like we were never the cool kids, but we were always making stuff that was doing well. And uh, and it was so it was a fucking no brainer when he was like, "I'm gonna make my first feature. I think it's I think it's incredible. It's like really meaningful to me." And I was like, "All right, cool. I'm gonna EP it. Like well, I can do whatever I want. I need to do to help." And he was like, "Just retweet the Kickstarter a whole bunch." And I was like, "All right, man." <laughs> and I, you yeah, did, yeah, and it worked and in it his did. favor. And it did, and it did, and he finished the movie. It's done, done. He's like, because he's done, submitted to festivals. It's like. I'm, just I'm a proud parent. It could not be cooler. I love it. Well, I'm cool. It's, it, I'm happy to be a part of this journey. And I know like a couple years from now, we'll be talking about other connections that happened because of <laughs> because, that. Because, yeah, we were in the same theater where we saw the You know what I'm again. saying? Yeah, yeah. All right. So let's talk Beast Beast because yeah. uh, I have not seen it yet. I just got to Sundance literally three hours ago. And I'm on the ground and we're here talking and I'm eating and drinking free food from the, the Sundance TV cafe. But Beast Beast <laughs> yep. is a film you're connected to here. Yes. Let's talk about it because I'm yes. going to see it eventually. But what should we what should we know yes. about it. So it is the first feature film by a filmmaker named Danny Madden, who is behind Ornana Films. Uh, Ornana Films is like this big Vimeo channel that has a bunch of animations that I'm sure you've seen. Um, notes on biology, Confusion Through Sand, and many, many others. Um, and this is his first real feature. It's mixed at Skywalker Sound. Uh, Danny is this insane person. Uh, he is he is one of the best filmmakers. The only reason I'm really making movies, I was a producer for him for about six years, and then uh, when I started making my own stuff, he became very supportive of me. He was a creative director of Thunder Road and my new mm. werewolf movie. Um, and then when he was doing Beast Beast, I came on as an EP, even before Alec Baldwin got involved, and then Alec Baldwin's an EP on that one, and he finished it over a year and a half. So he's, I finish a movie in like three months. I'm like <laughs> editing it, and it's like perfect, and I'm like, all right, cool, let's finish it. I like I that, by effect. the way. <laughs> I'm a maniac, it's terrible. Give me that, more of that. Um, and so, so Danny shot it in August, in uh, Peachtree City, Georgia, the same time that we shot Greener Grass, 
uh, our company made Greener Grass as well. And Greener Grass shot in August, edited until January, and then screened at Sundance 2018. Or no, 2019. yeah. And then Danny, the whole while, was been editing for a full year to then... And we shot it at the same time in the same town in Georgia, and we both of them got into Sundance. It's fucking insane. But Danny spent a year and a half editing that movie, and it's... It shows. It's phenomenal. It's insane. The sound design is unparalleled. Like Mad Max's competition mm. with mm. this movie. Um, it's it's a beautiful story. Um, I'm an actor in it for a second. I'm sure anybody who's seen <laughs> Thunder Road is going to laugh. I stare at play a police officer. It's fucking stupid. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, it's great. It's these three kids in high school um, and kind of what the experience of dealing with gun violence is like in a southern town. It's wow. really good. The romance in it is so realistic, um, and the violence is so realistic, and it's just a really fantastic movie that says a lot without saying too much. And is the plan to do self-distribution in the same way? I, dude, I keep telling them, um, but I don't know. I, we have a, a wonderful team of sales agents involved, XYZ, who helped us out with Werewolf, who we love to death, um, and they're fielding options right now, but... I think the industry's changing, and I think, uh, you know, with the success of Thunder Road, with what we've found out is possible on a grassroots level, um, I think it could have a fantastic life, independently distributed. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of started doing that for our other movies. Like, I'm going to distribute my movie probably in the next year, my, my the beta test, my smaller film. Um, and we might even be helping uh, the giant studio that we shot the werewolf movie with to do a lot of the... Um, marketing and distribution for for that film too. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think the the future is heading towards needing fewer people in between you and the audience, mm -hmm. and distribution is is certainly one of those uh, mediums. Well, here, here's the official invitation. We'd love to have Beast Beast. I haven't seen it yet, but it sounds like it'd work great for Brave Maker if you want to do a special yeah, Bay dude. Area screening. Absolutely, um, love that. So yeah, so our colorist is based in Oakland. His name is Sean Wells. He's fantastic. We mixed it at Skywalker. Oh, There's yeah. a lot of the Bay, Bay Area people in this movie. Uh, Jose Angeles is from the Bay Area. One of the three main actors. Um, it's a very Bay movie. Oh please, and we gotta yeah, do this. Okay, cool. Let's do that. Cool, that'd be great. I'm sure Jose would come out. Uh, okay. It's, yeah, he, he's he's like he does a lot of parkour. And, and skateboarding and stuff and he's unbelievable he was doing like backflips at the premieres in madness <laughs> he's like this little Jackie Chan like uh, Manny Pacquiao looking guy it's amazing it's amazing yeah he yeah, they would love that okay cool well I gotta get a ticket uh, Daniel Hanna if you have any questions pop them out but I'm gonna have him so you're next uh, what tell us about the beta well, you were wait yeah. The werewolf movie you were shooting about a year ago here, I was, weren't I you? Was. Like right after yeah. Sundance, you yeah. started shooting. If yeah. I remember so correctly, so I moved. I moved to Utah. <laughs> I moved to Utah January third of last year and stayed until April second. So oh, I was whoa. here for many months. So Sundance was going on. I came out to support Greener Grass because I have a small role in that. And so I was at Sundance last year for a minute. But then we were also in prep to shoot. So we shot from the beginning of March until the end of March. Um, my first studio movie, proper monster werewolf movie. Robert Forrester plays my father in the film. It's kind of like us and Ricky Lindholm and Chloe East um, are the main actors. And it's it's been such a fun experience working with just actors who I love to death. Mm -hmm. um, and then we edited it over last summer and have just been finishing it. And it's coming out in theaters next, this September. So September like That's 28th. Exciting. Are you the werewolf? I can't say. Oh, dude, I'm I, I hope so because I, I want to see. I want to see. I cannot say. <laughs> um, and then, and then we made the beta test. Uh, we shot that in November and December, and that is a smaller budget movie, similar to the size of Thunder Road, uh, about a lot of stuff. It's about Hollywood. And let me see if I remember correctly. I think I know a little bit from the pitch. Is it like some sort of indecent proposal, like some Hollywood yeah. indecent proposal or something? Yeah, it's like yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey yeah. meets The Player. It's yeah. like um, okay. an eyes wide shut. It's great. It's about a guy who receives anonymous letters inviting him to a no strings attached sexual encounter in a hotel room. And he goes, and it's fantastic, and then he never gets another letter, and it, he, he kind of drives him crazy. And so he's like, all of this other stress of Hollywood kind of coming into his life is really affecting him. And so it's it's a comedy in that it's you're watching this guy go through a pressure cooker, um, but then it's, it's also very poignant about the film industry right now and what it's going through mm. and just dishonesty, just mm -hmm. lying. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's really funny. That's great. Question from director Daniel Hanna over here. Yeah, I'll repeat yeah. it. I'd love to know, you know, I told you before, I'm a huge fan of your... Studio. He's asking, what was the studio experience like? Did he get to keep his own brand? Did he go outside of it? 
so I was very, very lucky. I had very young executives who signed us to do the thing, um, and they were incredibly supportive throughout. And I, but I think you're right. It was a bit of that. It was like, all right, well, we've seen the guy do very well with Thunder Road, writing, acting, directing, playing a police officer. I played an under-sheriff at a sheriff's department in Utah in the new film. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was kind of like Thunder Road with a werewolf. And so they'd already seen the success of that and what, what was possible with that. And it was also a monster movie. You marketed it as a horror film. And, uh, and so I think very quickly they were like, well, we want to be in the business of young filmmakers as the next generation of filmmaking. Um, and so we got it greenlit in a way that was entirely impossible from my shorts career. Like I made 10 decent, sometimes incredible short films over the last two years, three years. And, uh, and I'd already produced giant feature films for Patrick Wang and Danny Madden and, you know, many other people, Ian Clark. Um, and so like I had the production infrastructure already in place, but it really did take having a successful 90 minute product that changed Mm. all of that. Um, and then in making the movie, they were so incredibly supportive. Um, one of my favorite executives, Dan Kagan, was like, it was freezing in the hot tub, and uh, and the actors are in this hot tub, and we're heating up water on the stove in these giant pots, and to see our studio executives carrying these heavy pots of boiling water out in the snow to pour it into the hot tub so the actors don't get cold, it was like my heart just swelled. It mm-hmm. was so wonderful to see what real Hollywood should look like. Mm-hmm. It's True like indie, it's, yeah. It's never suits. It shouldn't be that. It's these people that are willing to get their hands dirty. Yeah, it's great. And um, yeah, so it was always that. It was people who had come from production, produced or marketed or, you know, you know, exactly produced these giant projects that I love from the 90s and 2000s and even more recently. And so I, I fucking lucked out so hard in this case. Um, but I do. I, yeah, I went from that and then immediately made an independent film because I had some free money sitting around that I could go and instantly invest in making a different film and then a whole crew of people that had just made a giant studio film that would be willing to come in and make something goofy with Jim over you know November and December so you're I hear you talking about the like you need to make a feature film like if you if you're making a bunch of shorts Uh you've got to make a feature film Uh because no one's going to really Look it's at a, you. It's a different kind of thing. You can have yep. a single, and that's a great thing. There's something about having a fucking album that is sellable. Yep. Like, you kind of have to show numbers of, like, hey, we did this thing. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I say you have to build your own studio. You have mm-hmm. to be your own studio. Yep. And, like, uh, if you're not doing that or if you're not working towards that maxim, um, yeah, I don't, you, you get just corrupted in every possible way. Mm-hmm. People try and take advantage of you. And if you can already be doing the job of the next person up from you, you'll be fine. That's a lot of the groundwork for Brave Maker as we kind of looked around and said, like you, like, no, n- the doors are being shut. Everyone says no, but mm-hmm. we can be your own yes. Be your, like, be yeah. your yes. But my, my producer and manager, Benjamin Wiesner, always says, uh, we, Hollywood told us no 75 times, but we had 20 crew members tell us yes. Yeah. And that's all that mattered. Yeah. What do you think about uh, TV? It sounds like you, you must be thinking about getting in. It's in. fantastic. I mean, I, I think that's probably the next logical step only because whenever I'm on set and we have an 18-day production or a 14-day production, I just want to keep yeah, working with everybody. Ed, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, like, it's bad. On beta test, we were shooting, and it was an 18, 19-day schedule. And uh, and you fall in love with everybody. You get to work with them. You see them every day. My gaffer, Charlie, production designer, Charlie, my cinematographer, Ken Wales. Like, all the crew and the cast are so fantastic. It feels like this fun experience. Um, and I just want to make that live forever. And uh, and so, yeah, making something that would be six episodes. I'm in development right now. Um, I just left development with Hulu for a TV show um, about astronauts that I really deeply want to make that I think is probably the next thing that we'll do in television. Um, but no, that's that's that would be great to do. And then also that's that's just becomes this wonderful thing of like I get to write scripts with my best friends mm-hmm. and then send it to uh, executives at a TV network and they say yes or no or they give us notes and then we revise them. It becomes this wonderful day job where I get to daydream with my best friend and and write a TV show that we might get even though we know it probably never will happen. Yeah. Um it's a great it's a great day job to have and then uh, and while we're making these other bigger movies until somebody takes it seriously. I just heard uh, uh, Ron Howard on the Festival Rules podcast. Have you heard that uh, yeah. Josh Horowitz and I just ran into Josh and Ben Lyons are doing a Festival Rules podcast all about Sundance, like two or three podcasts a day wow. here in Park City. And they had uh, Ron Howard on there. 
Ron Howard was talking about his daughter teaching a class uh, about being a multi-hyphenate. Yeah. That, and you seem like you have 55 hyphens. But <laughs> talk about that a little bit. Do you feel like, um, I mean, it's just your personality to do a lot of things? Do you feel like it's obviously benefited you? We do never you, had any money. Never, so you had to do it all. Yeah. That was no choice. So you had to learn After Effects to take the boot uh-huh. pole out because you're submitting South by Southwest and they're going to screen in six days. And so you have to learn all the YouTube <laughs> tutorials. Absolutely. Oh, gosh. That's dude. it. That, I, that, yeah, that life. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was out of necessity. It's out of necessity. And always, like, everybody who's listening to this right now knows that experience of, yeah. like, of like okay, I should hi- I should give this to somebody else so I don't have to stay up all night, mm-hmm. but I don't have anything. I can't convince anybody to do this thing. Um, yeah, I play the ukulele in Thunder Road and the field organ in two sequences uh, that I, I'm not a composer. I've never played a fucking ukulele in my life, but it was 4 a.m. And this it. montage needs music at this tempo, so... My girlfriend has a ukulele. I'm going to do the thing. Um, and then that becomes you being the composer hyphenate accidentally. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Just to ensure that the thing's not mediocre. That, yeah. that when you're, Especially when you're first starting out and you have no money, um, people will put in the least amount of effort possible because that's how it works. Like People have their own lives and their own stuff to do. And it makes sense. So because of that, we're always, we're always having to do everything. So you're getting to the place now where you can just choose three of those hyphens and just be actor, director, writer or what? It's, it's been great. So by making 10 single take short films uh-huh. and then three features now, four features arguably, um, it's fantastic to have these juggernauts that you surround yourself with. My production designer, Charlie Texter, is I only want to work with him for the rest of my life. He he gets and he thinks about the stuff that I don't have mm-hmm. to think about. I never think about color in my movies. And so the cinematographer and the production designer I put in the same room and they talk about the kind of like the tone and like how the through lines of colors for each character and stuff like that. Same thing with wardrobe. Um, it's a very important aspect. And when I watch the movie, I think about it. I'm like, oh yeah, purple goes through this movie really well. That's Crystal's color in Thunder Road. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I never would have thought of that on the day because I'm so focused on memorizing lines or anything mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. Um, that part of the artistic process I never really consider and so I outsource that to the wonderful people around me um, so yeah now having done a whole lot there are people that I trust impl- implicitly with that stuff um, awesome. and in every department same thing camera Ken Wales I'm going to shoot a thousand movies with him um, he knows how to move the camera in, in a way that I never have mm-hmm. to dictate which is fantastic um, that sounds dreamy oh my god dreamy. it's fantastic <laughs> it's fantastic and not only oh. is he just like oh I thought it would look like this he's like how would we do this and he's like oh, that's yeah. even better than oh. I thought I was gonna, fuck me he go, there was one time um, he goes do you want to operate because he knows on, on a few of my other movies I, I, I haven't been able to operate um, it's been contention it's uh, rules that we set up on set that the director wasn't allowed to touch the camera and so he he came to the the new project knowing that, and he was like, "Yo, do you want to operate?" And it got to a point where he was like, "Consider," and I, I was like, "I am so much worse than you are." Like, do, like, and I would never have said that two years ago. You right, know, I'm like, right. it's amazing. It's such a skill set. The little it like is. swing swingles that he can do. It's it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, to 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 have people who are absolute masters of the craft. Um, that but that took ten years yeah. to 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 meet those people and mm-hmm. get to know them. Yeah. Daniel, if you have anything else, you can, I have one more thing. Uh, and then I know you need to catch a flight. Um, if you have any fears, if you ever have time to think about fears, how do you handle them? What are they and what do you do about them? Um, I remember hearing a story uh, from about Kathleen Kennedy where she was talking about she was an assistant on Jaws and then came on to produce like Close Encounters and then has done basically all of Spielberg's um, movies from the 90s. Um, did Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same year. It was crazy. Um, but she said that, that when she was younger and she was become a producer, she would wake up at like 4 in the morning throw up and that that didn't change. Like on the first day of production, it was like it just kept happening and then you get used <laughs> to it. Um, I think no matter what, as a young person, you always feel like, especially as a director, you can organize all these things, but it's all going to fall through. That like nobody's going to show up, everything's going to fall apart, and that can be entropy can be a really terrifying thing as a filmmaker. Um, but then when you're just doing it enough, and you can kind of produce on your own, those fears tend to go away. Um, I guess I mean the biggest fear, obviously for me, is like you make a joke in a movie and people don't laugh at it. Uh, like that's always a scary thing. Like being in an audience of like, ooh, ooh people gonna find this funny. Yeah, yeah that's okay. Mm-hmm. Can you can you slap a corpse? Is that alright? People gonna laugh at that? That's <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that that's always that's always the biggest fear for me is like the the predictions that I made about where the audience is gonna be mm. on the roller coaster. That's be cool. Yeah. Audience, that's awesome. Yeah, you like an audience uh, empathy or fear or of the care. public. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Daniel, anything yeah. else you want to ask? I'm gonna pass it to you if you do. Hey Jim. Hey. Do you ever think there will be a time when you're not working on like uh, sub million dollar movies, like helping out? Do you see that as an interesting 
place to keep yourself even as a producer or well the werewolf movie was a multi-million dollar movie and so that was that was my first real um step into making bigger budget movies um and so no i would love to make bigger movies i just really love being able to make something that i can guarantee is going to be perfect and like the best way to do that is to make something on your own from your own bank account um i remember the duplass brothers said that it was like when they moved to hollywood the rule was spend other people's money and they were and then immediately they were like, no, we're going to spend only our money because that's going to ensure that the movie is going to be fucking perfect that every dollar is spent economically. Um, and so I still live inside of that. Like, I, I mean, I, I've, I was having panic attacks or doing this werewolf movie. It was such a big budget. I was like terrified that it, it wasn't going to have been worth it to these wonderful executives. Um, and so I just worked as hard as I possibly could, worked as hard as I possibly could. And the same thing goes for my independent films of like, it, these are people who carry C-stands up flights of stairs for you, and they're all contributing to make your dreams come true, and it's so important to, to do that. Um, answer your question, I'd love to do bigger stuff, but I'm never counting on it. Like I, I have ideas for kids' adventure movies that I would love to do that would cost a little bit of money that I've pitched. I've actually pitched to Amazon. I pitched to Ted Hope once, um, and Brandon Harris, these executives over there, and they're fantastic. And... Uh, and I would love to make it with them. I think they're like really doing something wonderful with with filmmaking. Um, but I just I, I don't know. And I haven't I haven't had an opportunity to really go back in and, and pitch it again. Um, and then in the interim, I have other movies to make. There's movies that cost much less that I have to keep my team employed. Like if yeah. if, if people say no, we can't finance this for four million dollars, three million dollars, two million dollars. Um, I still have to keep making stuff. Like otherwise, my 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 crew will revolt and uh, and move back home, and I can't have that happen. Totally, and I guess that's even what I meant. And you answered it anyway. Is like even if you're after you're doing bigger movies, you see the value in doing smaller movies too, and that you can get something from that. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And and often in making the smaller movie, it's something that is like such a niche audience, or or something that like you know would do well on the festival circuit, or kill, you know, in a room at Sundance or whatever. Like I, I don't know. It's like. It's like different kinds of comedy sets or different kinds of music sets. I think it's um, it's non-overlapping audiences, and and I like being able to hit both sometimes. Thanks so much. I'll close it up. I imagine that you would have. Uh... And I might have time. I'm, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna see what Meg just talks okay. to me, but I think I do have time. Okay. Oh, seven is the latest. Oh, we got fucking plenty of time. All right, <laughs> All right. kick back for another yeah, hour yeah, or yeah, two. Yeah, We're yeah. good. Yeah, it's a Joe Rogan <laughs> podcast. Here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> I imagine that your ability to do things so quickly, though, is because of these the sizes of the films. Like you're cranking out so many. Also, things. we shoot to edit. So, like because because I come from long takes. Every time we approach a scene, it's like everything is already constructed in the mind of the editor before it starts. Like I already have an idea of how these things are going to get put together. Um, and the scripts are so meticulous. We make them as podcasts first. So oh, that's right. By the way, talk about that because yeah. I did that with my feature film I'm working on right oh, now, cool. just so you know, cool. I've learned so much from, from you, Jim, because uh, I heard you talk about the way you did Thunder Road yeah. and that you did the whole audio recording of it, the whole yeah. thing before. Talk yeah. about that. Yeah. So, so, so I made, the, I wrote the script and then uh, I just wanted to keep making it or kind of prove that it was going to be good and to see how it works to get it on its feet. And so I recorded it as a podcast, which just meant like I had the script on an iPad and I was reading it on a Zoom recorder in my closet <laughs> and uh, <laughs> pathetic looking. Um, and I was just doing it. And I played all the characters, but I grew up listening to audiobooks. I grew up listening to the Harry Potter audiobooks and Jim Dale, is this amazing vocal performer and he plays Haggard and Hermione in the same scenes and you never bat an eye. So it's like, it never bothered me growing up. And so I just put in music and some sound design for key moments and just kind of like made an audio experience of what the movie would be, which is very helpful because you an yep. idea of what the duration of the film would be, all that stuff. And I'm going to do it for every one of my movies moving forward. Um, I love it. It's such a great way to, to telegraph what the movie's supposed to be in a way that texts really mm-hmm. can't can't do that um and so i I make a podcast of it i send it to the producers i send it to the actors i send it to the crew so at least everybody has a basic understanding of what the movie's going to be i think that language and english is just too complex to 
leave up to words on a page and there's so much meaning in a certain delivery of one word that can really convey to an audience so I, I like to do that and then that becomes like a base layer for the actors to kind of bring everything else to it um, or at least an idea of what I was hoping that the scene would be and then we shoot to edit so like we just only shoot the stuff that we know we're going to use in the edit so like mm-hmm. we don't cover if we're doing like this long dolly and zoom to introduce a scene of these characters sitting in a diner we don't go through the entire conversation of the diner I know I'm only going to need that for the opening of the shot and then we move into the close up so it's like I am very cognizant of how the movie's getting put together before we even show up on set are you storyboarding all that stuff too? No. I do shot listing, which is just me describing the stuff to mm-hmm. my poor cinematographers mm-hmm. who have to listen to it. And then we workshop that, like how to do it more economically. Do we need six shots? Can it be four? Um, and that can be really helpful. And then at most, we'll go to locations and take set pictures and then use a program like Artemis on the iPhone and like do some mm-hmm. tight lensing of kind of what it would look like and... Uh, and get an idea, so like put in actor or like put me into frame, and then we'll take a picture of kind of what it should look like. And but still, it always changes. Like you show up at a set, and there's yeah. like new furniture yeah, there, and you kind of sure. yeah, it's like it's always different. Um, so really, we what we do is we come to location even before I go to you know hair and makeup or wardrobe, and I'll just block out the scene with the actors of kind of like how, especially for long takes, of like how the ballet is going to work, so that every department can kind of see what the madness is going to be for that scene, and then the boom operator knows that he has to boom from below instead of above, or we have to tie the lights up so that we don't fuck it up because the boom has to get around it, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So since we have time, I want to talk about this being this actor, director, writer, because you've got an insight into what it feels like to be on both sides of the camera. Mm-hmm. And there's always a lot of discussion around directors who don't know how to navigate actors. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious for you to talk about for, let's talk about for directors what's some thoughts and tips around how to work with actors in a way that gets good performances? Because as I'm, I'm an actor too, we're, I'm really bad at that. Are I, you? Yeah. I am really bad at it. I well, see, why do you say that? I see movies, specifically the last two movies, last two movies that I've made. Thunder Road was a little looser, like Nikon Robinson, who plays my partner in the film, Nate. Um, he and I were, had long form conversations while we were shooting about, um, what the scenes were going to be and how to get there emotionally and kind of what, you know, what we were doing. And like, it's so goofy to have these two grown men, um, connect in this, you know, interesting, friendly way, um, and so it was just long form conversations as two actors basically. I wasn't even the director at that point. It was just like, and now I get to, now I get now I get to know Nikon a little bit more. We get to talk about like what makes us laugh, what makes us cry. Um, in the house we were shooting in, in the Airbnb we were staying at, which was the same place. Um, but then with all of the other features that we make, because we've never had any money, it's all very concise. So I have to think about what the movie's going to be before we shoot it. So like. Every moment, I have to perform kind of sometimes. Like, I had to line read all the time. Um, as a director? As a director. I'm terrible <laughs> at it um, because... For, for people who don't know what a line read is. A line read is is a term that uh, theater directors came up with or actors came up with in the theater to protect directors from um, telling them how to do the their craft. And um, and it's a, it's a good thing to protect actors, but nowadays... Um, I, I, I feel like it's so convoluted and it never helped me uh, setting up these rules that you're not allowed to say the words how you'd like them to be said because language in English is so complex um, and a joke if there's inflection on one syllable in a certain word, it has a different yeah, connotation so right. to it so than, right. than anything else. So like, uh, instead of waiting for the actor to do it a thousand times in order to get the right connotation and then to have them remember yeah. when I go, that was it, that was great. Yeah. Instead I go, no, it's like this. And yeah. then I just do it and then it makes... I don't know. I, I, it must be really bad, but I treat live action <laughs> film as if it's an animation, where it's like there, there has there's so much thought that goes into mm-hmm. it beforehand, and and it has to be very precise. It has to be like this, um, and, and I think there is a right way to deliver a joke and a wrong way. Mm-hmm. And if it's not working, it's not funny. That actor's not going to be happy that it's not yeah. working in the final cut. Yeah. Um, so instead of Instead of waiting for an actor to get it right, I tend to just hang out with them a lot and do it, and then be like, this is how I do it. And then it becomes this fun performance for them where we're doing these long takes, and it's like, okay, cool, they nailed it, she nailed it there, okay, yeah. cool, she nailed it there. It's like it becomes like watching football or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, um, 
I don't know. It, it, I don't know. It's it, it, I'm really bad at, at directing actors, I think. But that sounds like your technique is more relational, though, which is great. You're building a relationship and a rapport with the actors, like you said, what makes us laugh, what makes us cry. There's a, there's a trust and a loyalty that you're developing, yeah. as opposed to, I think, sometimes what some of us as directors can get we can like feel like we're just commanding an actor to do what we want them to do. But if you're like, hey, you, I like you, you like me, and I'd really like you to go up, <laughs> accentuate this word, and do two syllables instead of one, because it's going to be funnier. Yeah. like, oh, yeah, I see that. But I think there's almost this pride, like some directors, we don't want to give them the line read because we've been told yeah. in some book that we shouldn't. But if you have a camaraderie in a relationship, yeah. then it's easily I, so, received, right? So I, I was working with my, with my girlfriend, Julia Bales, who's a director, and she was making this short film called Golf, um, and we're talking about, I think this is the first time I've ever had to like vocalize why inflection is so important. Um, there's a line in her film where it's this like 55-year-old golfer who's confronting his caddy about having groped a member of the golf course staff the previous night. She plays the 55-year-old golfer, so she's in like full costume as this 55-year-old man. Um, <laughs> and and the golfer says, uh, says uh, 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 so, I, so I, th- I thought you heard about the, uh, the event that happened last night. Um, and then he goes, yeah, you know, I was in the kitchen. I don't really know about that. Uh, and, and then the golfer says, uh, well, you were there. And th- those words, well, you were there. And there's emphasis <laughs> on it. But if, if she had just said, well, you were there. Yeah. That has a completely different so connotation. Yeah. He's asking for it to be backed up with because of the yeah. emphasis on the second syllable, and that, and it's insane. And yeah. it's like, but it has a completely different meaning to it. Yeah. Apparently, Mandarin is worse, Cantonese is worse, um, but English it's so important, and 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 you, you can't fuck it up. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so because of that, I, I yeah, I end up line reading so much to actors. And I think, like I said, I don't think there's a problem with that. If there, you're a director that's next to me, Daniel, you're nodding. If there's like a, if it doesn't come from a place of ego. And, and I know? never, it's never like based on the script. Like I would never have, like a, we don't have a script supervisor on set. We never have somebody really? come up, Ever. Yeah. How come? Say that. Let's say more about that. That's interesting. Um, we started in long takes, so continuity didn't really mean too much to us. Okay. It could be different every time. Uh-huh. Um, for the robbery, we had uh, Ray Gray, the actress, wearing different colored shirts at all times because we knew we weren't going to blend them. We couldn't. Um, so she mm. wore different tank tops at all times when we were shooting stuff. Um, didn't matter. Continuity didn't matter. Um, it doesn't really matter too much in our stuff. We have five producers on set. We're all cognizant. Okay. All, the, yeah. all the department heads are fantastic. Um, and so they keep an eye on huh. where the bottles are and the glasses and stuff. Um, so it didn't really matter. And so like, and we never have somebody coming up and be like, actually, the line is this. Mm-hmm. You missed this word in that. Right, like, right. That would drive me nuts. <laughs> that is so humiliating to an actor. Yeah, sure. And it's just so not freeing it's mm-hmm. so gross to do to somebody so it's something like you also appreciate some improv and flexibility oh, yeah well yeah. the other thing is like hey i've created this thing like this is kind of how i'm imagining it but if you can do it more authentically yeah. Yeah. and funnier or more dramatic or heartbreaking than i could fuck it do that thing i love like, that like, part too yeah, yeah that's the sure. best part uh-huh. like yeah i have no idea how it's going to sound coming out of annie hamilton's vocal cords rather than mine like mm-hmm. we've got to find the, the way that it's going to seem coming, you know, good for her or, or any of the cast in the movie. Yeah. I dig that. What do you think your growth edges are as a director? Um, what do I want to do? Like, yeah. what, what are the things that I like, need to yeah, work on? Yeah, what do you, where are you growing, where are you feeling like, oh, I want to learn more, I want to do this better? Um, I'm, I, yeah. I really want to do more, I'm watching a lot of Hitchcock lately, and, like, he was such a master of just character comedy and like set up and payoff and reveals and just pacing things out in beautiful, wonderful ways and kind of chaperoning an audience through little simple stories, little simple people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love that so much. I think I'd love to do um, more of that, less of me shouting and taking all my clothes off and more like <laughs> using the camera and audio to help tell the story Um Craftsmanship. I think like it's always. I still feel like this next year. This next year for me will be um, educational. I just got the Criterion Channel and a, and a larger TV. Nice. And I'm gonna put in some time watching nice. some well-crafted older movies. I think. For those who haven't seen any of Jim's movies, he's not talking about derobing as a director. He usually <laughs> tends to derobe as an actor. <laughs> That'd be really weird as a director. Uh, you spoke like, too soon. Oh. Uh, yeah. yeah. Jim, could you put your clothes yeah. on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they can't see us. So you got to publish those pictures. They just think, like, I swear I am wearing clothes. It's pretty uh, cold right uh, now, Jim. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, Jim, what are you doing? Put your pants back on. Uh, what would you say? I mean, I think, I think everyone has heard you talk, but would know what you're going to say. But um, those who haven't, the people who are trying to bravely make their stuff. We, we call our 
community brave maker for a reason because there's so much fear and rejection and yep. people who censor themselves. Uh, what advice do you have for those people who are waiting for something? Uh, never feel inadequate. Um, the system is made to make you feel inadequate. That's how they stay in the club. Um, the clubs are imaginary. They're they're a very simple velvet rope that you can jump over. Um, or pull the fire alarm and everybody has to leave the building and then you get to introduce yourself to people. Um, uh, many of the websites of the big people are easily hackable or the security is down sometimes and you can find contact information and get in touch with people. You don't need anybody to give you um, gratification for this stuff. If you're making stuff on your own, uh, you'll be fine. Um, yeah, I think that's it. You kind of have to keep doing it, and then you build up a tougher skin mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, this person said I couldn't do it. It doesn't mean that I can't do it. It means I can't do it with them, yep. um, and I'm just going to keep making stuff. Yeah, I would say um, make your own studio. Yep. Like, just you have to imagine that you're going to form your own A24 and start making yep. movies under whatever that label is, and then, um, and then never stop. I love it. Thanks for being inspirational, man. Thanks for your time. This is super cool. I love it. I'm happy to. Yeah. Uh, Ava DuVernay said, you know, something about, you know, don't you know, stop knocking on the doors and build your own house. Yeah. And I really like that. Yeah. You know, I think about like everything you're doing. Yeah. You know, Vanishing Angle. Right? It's been great. Talk yeah. about talk about Vanishing Angle. Yeah. So Vanishing Angle is a production company that was started by my buddy Matt Miller. And, uh, and I came there as a producer of Patrick Wang's film, The Grief of Others. Matt gave me my first job when I moved to L.A. Um, in 2014. And it was for a music video, and we just started making stuff together. And then I was producing more with him, and um, it was so funny. It just we, we became more ingratiated and started making movies together. We got along. And then Natalie Metzger came on board. She was a graduate of Cal Arts and was making short films and films of her own documentaries. But she was an incredible producer and came on to do all of my shorts and then made um, the Thunder Road feature and then Werewolf and Beta Test and basically everything. She's, But it's just a team of about four or five people. And because of all of us having the same axe to grind against the system and, uh, and desire to make important things, we're a production company. And that's it. It's like you see the – I just watched Omniboat last night and the Borscht Collective, the Borscht Corp is just these group of funny people in Miami who have no business, you know, making giant Hollywood movies or whatever. But they do because they're just – making shit and they bullied each other to continue to do it and yeah vanishing angle is this wonderful little home with free wi-fi and coffee <laughs> and open door policy and uh yeah we just help people because that's so rare in a, in a, in a weird where nobody really helped us and so like if we can just teach other people how to do it they tend to come back very grateful and very kind and helpful to us. I love it. And Jim already said he's super accessible. You can find him on IMDb <laughs> and everything. Uh, but you also have a thing called the script, or the short to feature lab. Yeah. So yeah. Those, those of you who have a short film should know about this on the podcast. Tell them about it. Yeah. So uh, after winning South by Southwest, Ben and I decided to share the education that we got just from distributing the feature of Thunder Road and uh, and raising the funds and Kickstarter and stuff like that. I realized there was no real book for that or like even YouTube tutorials for how to produce and distribute your movie. And so I wrote this written curriculum. It was an article I was going to share. And I was like, well, why don't we just like open it up to the public? And I posted about it on Facebook and Twitter being like, hey, submit to this thing. Built a website. Um, people submitted their shorts. And then the first year we had like 200 submissions or something like that. And, uh, and we flew out people. I paid for half of it, basically. You flew them out to it, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's all paid for. It's That's room and board. They all stay at, at your parents' house or something, right? It's my parents' house in Malibu. Uh, it's this tiny little parent my parents' house in Malibu. And tents or and something, then, uh, right? Oh, yeah. We, we bought tents from REI and, <laughs> and sleeping bags. we got Tempur-Pedic mattresses now for everybody. <laughs> um, but they all camp out, and we just kind of workshop on each of their movies. So we had 10 films the previous year. We had nine filmmakers, but 10 films – no, 10 Filmmakers, ten, nine films this year, all over the world, India, um, Ireland, Spain, all over the country, Canada, all over. And uh, and it's great. You, we, we have, it's fully catered. Um, they fly out and they just, we give them five days of workshops. We partner them with famous mentors. They send us a list of their ideal mentors and we just kind of partner them for like Skype sessions. I saw you got Alma Harrell yeah. as a mentor. She was great. Right? Yeah, she was great. Yeah, she was fantastic. She is, yeah, the queen of Twitter. She's fantastic. Um, another great, so this then, is another great story. So Alma Harrell directed Shia LaBeouf's 
screenwriting debut last year. I think it won one award last year at Sundance, maybe screenwriting or something, or, or breakthrough or something. Uh, it's out right now in theaters. Go so see Honey Boy. Yeah. But Jim just tweeted at Elma, yeah. hey, one of our filmmakers wants you as a mentor. And then she said yes. And, and, yeah, I said, would you DM me, my one of my filmmakers? And then for some, everybody on Twitter was like, oh my God, yes, we're going to hook this up. So like, they were retweeting it, like commenting it. And then she said, I DM'd you. And within three days, they were on a Skype call together. And they amazing. love each other. That's it's such amazing. a funny thing just to be able to. It was so easy. It was yes. the easiest thing in the world. Um, we had Derek C. in France previous year, Desiree Akhavan, um, uh, so many, so many filmmakers. Uh, and then, like, what was weird is like Danny Madden was one of our mentors the previous year because he had made the Krista short film. And then now he's here at Sundance with Beast Beast. And, like, wow. uh, Anna Baumgarten, who is his fellow, he was the mentor, she was the fellow, has shot her feature film, This Fluency. And we just watched a cut of it at our offices a couple weeks ago. It's fantastic. It's like to see if you can just do that, if you can just yeah. be the people to give support at yes. all, you'd be so surprised as yes. what happens. And I would not have done that without Sundance. Like, mm-hmm. talking about fucking brave makers. Mm-hmm. Robert Redford started this mm-hmm. fucking thing 42 years ago, 1978, and they rode motorcycles yeah. out in the mountains. It was like, okay, well, let's not do the Metropolis thing. Let's make people here. come to here yeah. so we can get rid of all the bullshit. Some of the bullshit snuck back in. <laughs> you can see them walking around in suits outside on Main Street. Um, they have lounges on Main Street. Um, but no, I mean, like, really, if you just spread the rumor and make it true, you'd be surprised as to what can come about it in no time at all. It's pretty cool. I mean, John Cooper, it's his last year. He's the director of the Film Fest. Is it his last year? His last year. That's why he's, like, they're doing all these goodbye things for him, oh, but he's retiring man. and moving on. But he started the fest by, by talking about, hey, I think there was, like, three things he said. One of them was, like, just make friends, take it in, don't yeah. leave the, the hype. And then he said, just be kind. Be kind to people. Think about that. What other industry do you have to say, hey, don't be a fucking asshole yeah, to people? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, humanity in general. Like, even just, like, the fact that the law of attraction, you're putting out good things on Twitter and good things are happening. Like, I, I really believe that. Like, if you are a person who says, I want to help others, yes, I want to make my films too. I want my, my stories to advance. But I also know that I can't be so selfish as to just focus on myself that actually I'll get further when I link arms with somebody else yeah. and help them. And elevate their stuff because yeah. you're gonna care about what I care about too. If I'm caring about you, it tends to work like that. Yeah, it it really does. Right? and you'd be so surprised. Yeah, but it's also strange that that's so rare in the film industry. I think that's that's another thing. Like because it's rare, you yeah. get more by being a nice person. Yeah. you get more acclaim. Yeah, so it's like I don't know why people aren't helpful to each so, other. Yeah. it's like it's insanity. I mean, think about Tom Hanks. Everyone says he's like the nicest nice guy, guy ever, right? I mean, that's so cool to think about that. I mean, Keanu. to have that yeah. type of reputation yeah. <laughs> that you are the person who people say, "What a nice guy," and that's the rarity. I mean, I don't know. I'll live into that. That's the yeah. kind of person I want to be. Yeah. You got that vibe, man. So thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, at Jimmy, that's me. What is it? Jimmy C, that's me. <laughs> at Jimmy C, that's me. We'll put all these things in the show notes, every link, every IMD. I won't put his cell phone because if you really want a cell phone number, you got to meet him in person. Okay. All right. <laughs> Anything else you want to say, Jim? Before um, we go make movies. Don't uh, never feel inadequate. Go make movies. Boom. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend. BraveMaker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Brave stories change the world. You are the story.